Say hello and welcome to Resistance Radio. I'm John Kane. I will be joined by Regan DeLoggins. Uh, Regan is still in Minnesota. So we uh, sometimes have a little difficulty connecting with, with Regan. So we'll, uh, we're going to do the best we can. And I really want Regan's input on today's program because I am talking about activism. And, and of course, both Regan and I have that as a part of our lives. But I want to talk about the myths. I want to talk about who is doing what and why. And uh, so I want to break it down a little bit. Before I get into it, let me again remind our listeners that we are listener-supported radio. We rely on your contributions to both WPFW in Washington, D.C. and at WBAI in New York City. So I do ask that if you, it, look, even if you don't enjoy the program, if you just like having your, maybe your mind's picked a little bit and, uh, and, and you like, maybe you, ha- maybe you listen because you disagree with what I have to say, but you want that challenge. So if you, if, if it, in any way, you listen to this program because it does challenge you. It does make you think critically. Um, and, and again, maybe I just get a rise out of you. I don't know. But if, if you listen to, to John and Regan for any reason, I'm asking that you go to the pledge line. If you're in New York City, I, I ask you to go to 212-209-2950 and make a contribution. Become a WBAI buddy. We'd greatly appreciate it if you'd sign up to the buddy program. Do it in the name of Resistance Radio. Um, look, if you're already a buddy, uh, maybe add a few bucks and you and you and you get you do it in the name of Resistance Radio. Um, you can go online as well. You can go to give to wbai.org. That's G I V E, the number two, wbai.org, and you can follow the prompts to make a donation. Time donation, one-time donation, um, a monthly donation, however you'd like to do it. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. If you're in Washington D.C. Listening to us on WPFW, I ask that you go to their pledge line, which is 202-588-9739. Make a contribution, same deal, whatever suits your budget, whatever suits your cash flow. Um, You can also go online to WPFWFM.org and follow their prompts to make an online contribution. Look, it is so important that stations like WPFW and WBAI give us time so space, I will. You know, we always talk about land acknowledgement, right? Well, I, look, it's nice to have land acknowledgement, but we want land back. We want space. And look, a radio station, they don't need to give us real estate. They need to give us airtime. And so when WBAI BAI and WPFW give Regan and I space so our voices can be heard right alongside all the other voices. And, and I guarantee you will likely get a perspective from Regan and I that you have haven't gotten from somebody else, and I think I think Reggie can attest to that. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. yes, I can. <laughs> All right, so I want to talk about activism. So, what? One of the things that, that I get hit with all the time. In fact, I, I just recently got hit with this. I got booted from a <laughs> from a community page. Um, you know, first I got comments removed. And the comments were removed, not because of anything that I said, but because of some of the, the comments that came as a result of my comments. And I said, so you, you took my comments off simply because of what other people said? And they said, yes. 
And then the administrator of this group went on to say, well, you're a paid activist. And, and I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. A paid activist? And this goes back to some of the myths that are out there that somehow everybody on the left, if you know, and I don't even consider myself on the left, but everybody who gets characterized as being on the left, that somehow we are all on George Soros's payroll. And I know you've heard some of this crap before. And this is, you know, like all of the, some of the other Trumpisms that get out there, this stuff gets said over and over and over again to the point where, you know, people start believing this stuff. That, that if, if somebody shows up to block a pipeline or a rail line or, you know, a demonstration in front of whatever, you know, City Hall, the federal building, you know, Occupy Wall Street, whatever, you know, whatever we, we participate in, that somehow we were paid to be there. And look, for one thing, if somebody has that, uh, uh, you know, those numbers to call, <laughs> sign me up because I haven't gotten any checks in the mail. And you know, even as I fight this mascot issue in various places, like my old high school, I have literally heard people say in public, well, that John Cain, he gets paid, for, uh, he gets paid to go into these communities to do this. Well, well, who do they think is paying me? I mean, does anybody really believe that George Soros is concerned about whether I get a mascot removed from a, from, you know, from a, a school with a graduating class of about 70 kids? I mean, come on. So, I mean, it's, you know, not only is that stuff absurd, but if you're on the right, or maybe if you're in the middle, and you hear this stuff over and over again, you can begin to be believe it. So I, I think it's important that when we talk about activism, I, you have to realize that the people who come out are passionate about these issues. And those issues range. I mean, the, those issues vary. And I'll talk a little bit about some of that stuff. Some of them cross over. And some of them, you know, we, we may, I may agree with somebody's issue, but it may not be the primary issue that I fight for. You know, we also get, you know, get um, uh, accused of being merely you know, a guy behind a keyboard on Facebook or Twitter or something like that. Look, social media is an integral part of resistance in, in the days that we're living in now. Today, we utilize Facebook and we use, utilize Instagram, even TikTok and, and Twitter, all of that stuff. We go live, we, we do live streaming, we use YouTube, all of it. And there's, I'm not going to be ashamed of, of using Facebook to advance my message. But to suggest that, that that's all I do or that that's all anybody is, is doing, that's just, again, simply absurd. We are utilizing the, the, the means to, to get our message out. But you know what? The right does it too. I mean, we saw some of the stories about how much the right, through disinformation and misinformation, you know, has has driven controversy on everything from election fraud to, uh, you know, to wearing masks and COVID-19, all of that stuff. There, you know, frankly, in many ways, the right and those who are utilizing the right are better at this than we are. It's not because they're more committed, though. I mean, when we show up someplace, and look, I know when, when people say, yeah, they got arrested, but they got a slap on the hand and got out. Well, it ain't always that way, folks. We have been beaten. We have been pepper sprayed. We have been cuffed, handcuffed for hours, both with metal cuffs and the nylon cuffs. We have been physically abused by police. We have been psychologically abused by police. And 
yeah, we, we get arrested, we go to jail, and we get out of jail. Some of us. Sometimes we end up staying in jail for a lot longer than people can imagine. We get, uh, we get manipulated. Red Fawn comes to mind. When I, when I think about you know, getting set up with a gun by, a, by an FBI informant so, so she could spend you know, years in, in, uh, in a prison. I mean, these are the kinds of things that happen to us. Why? Because we are activists. And we aren't just activists. We are active. We are actively resisting, whether it's environmental degradation, like line three, that, that has really been a, a big part of what, what Regan is involved in, or Standing Rock, or, or any pipeline, even, even the, the pipeline running through Brooklyn. Look, we fight for the environment, these environmental issues. And you know, look, Again, one of the other pieces of crap that we get hit with. Oh, sure, you're all against fossil fuels, but you're still driving your car. Yeah, these are the absurd, stupid comments we get. Oh, how can you jump on a plane and go someplace for an environmental um, you know, rally or movement or meeting or whatever else uh, when, you're, when you're adding to your own carbon footprint? Look, we understand what the, how the game is played. And we understand that that kind of dismissing of somebody's efforts or, or trying to somehow diminish somebody's efforts by, by trying to you know, point out elements of hypocrisy, uh, you know, that, that, it doesn't work. And look, I do drive a car. And when, the, when, when our work ultimately results in, in enough infrastructure so we are driving electric cars, which is really what most of us are fighting for, something along the lines that we either, you know, use less of uh, use less fossil fuels or eliminate them completely. That's what we want. We're not saying that that we should eliminate it and, and go back to the to the stone age. Although that wouldn't necessarily be a terrible terrible thing. But there are alternatives and those are what we are pursuing. But we're also trying to be really conscious about those alternatives. Not trying to br bring up a you know um, a bunch of myths associated with with alternative fuels, but, but really critically think about what the, those alternatives are. Well, you know, I, I get hit, you know, because I do a lot of work on the mascot issue, somebody says, well, aren't there more important things to do than that? Yeah, there probably are. And I'm doing those too. And, but I will say, and, and, and I, I'm serious about this, the mascot issue is an issue we are winning. And, I know it frustrates, somehow this became a right-left thing, so I, I don't know how the mascot issue became that, but, but I know it frustrates those people on the right. And so they will take a shot at somebody like me or, or anybody who's, who's involved in this and say, yeah, we don't see you doing stuff for, uh, you know, for missing children. No, you may not see it. Doesn't mean we're not doing something along those lines. But I also, I also contend that all of these things are related. Regan and I have talked about that in the past. Look, you, part of the reason that we are so adamantly opposed to fossil fuels is the relationship that, that the extraction industry has with the exploitation of women. And part of the reason we oppose the mascot issue is because of the fetishizing of native imagery and native women and the fact that we are contaminating the minds of children. So, yeah. We are concerned about children. We are concerned about women. We are concerned about environment. And they are all connected. Look, if you can cast Native people merely into the past and then 
when you teach about native, native history or, or native people in school, you suggest that somehow it's all been a happy ending. Yes, native people had a rough time, but it's all good now. I mean, I, I recall listening to folks like Ronald Reagan and, uh, when, when interviewed internationally, suggesting that somehow there's no native problems anymore, that they solved it. That, and what they're really saying is they're trying to argue that their assimilation and genocide has been successful. So yeah, no, native people, yeah, they're just Americans now. Well, that's not necessarily true. But, and I bring this up because even that, look, there is a spectrum that all of us are on in terms of where we fit into the social fabric. And I'm not talking about just American society. I just mean as, as not just even as human beings, but as a part of creation. So what do we do? Do we resist oppression? Do we, the, do we resist the oppression of others or only the oppression of ourselves? Do we, do we, we resist environmental degradation that, that affects somebody else or do we only resist it when it affects us? And many of us are only gonna get involved when it directly affects us. I would advocate that we should, we should stand up for what, against wrong no matter who it's against. And in fact, as we are trying to solicit help from allies, and, and I don't mean just allies, I mean accomplices as well. We have to convince them that if you remain silent or complicit in the oppression of people who are more vulnerable, I don't mean weak, I mean more vulnerable, then you are setting yourself up for, uh, to be oppressed as well. And you know, look, there, there are lots of you know, uh, stories, there are lots of memes, there are lots of you know, uh, statements out there that suggests what happens when we stand idly by as others are being oppressed. Because when they come for you, nobody will be there. So we've, these, these issues are really important. And we as individuals, we get to prioritize what we are going to spend our main efforts on. And, and it changes with time. Look, there's no question that in the wake of the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement, Native people were, the, were a beneficiary of some of that movement. We saw not only uh, civil, uh, civil War statues coming down, like the one who just came down recently with Robert E. Lee, but we saw Columbus statues coming down. We saw Hunapara Serra um, statues being defaced and come down. So we know that, that even though our issues are not necessarily the same as the issues that, that, that black people are facing, that racism is still pretty much the same thing. It's the same people who are, who are, uh, who are the privileged, right? It's, it's still white people. I mean, racism isn't a right or left thing. It's not, a, it's not a right thing, it's a white thing. And we face that regardless of who's the president, you know, who's the, the governor. So when we realize that we could be um, not only by standing up with black people on, with Black Lives Matter and the oppression you know, that, uh, that black people have experienced, but we also have shared experiences. Slavery, yeah, Native people were, were enslaved too. Uh, death by cop, we actually lead proportionally, I mean, you know, we're a much smaller population, but we actually lead in death by cop amongst most age groups. 
So if I want to fight for police reform or more, more strongly to, to get rid of, uh, of, of police as it exists today, then I'm going to stand with, with my, black, you know, my black relatives. And we benefit together because we do have common interests, even if ultimately when you, when you boil it all down, you realize, okay, we do have some issues that are a little different. We, are, we aren't fighting for necessarily for the same kind of inclusion. We aren't fighting for civil rights within the system, the state system. We are fighting for autonomy. We're fighting for distinction. And that doesn't mean that we're fighting against necessarily, that we have to fight against somebody who is fighting for those things. You know, I, I, I have recently cited some of what I've learned about Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass, you know, sounds, you know, like an American hero and, uh, you know, the, the most recognizable abolitionist in the history of the United States. But he also bought into this idea of manifest destiny. And he spoke quite, uh, you know, he spoke out against Native people. He, he felt that Native people being wiped out was a necessary part of American expansion. He just wanted black people to be included in that American expansion. So you realize that, yes, I can oppose slavery, and I can agree with Frederick Douglass and some of what he said on some level. I mean, we, we, see, we hear the same thing about women's suffrage. You know, uh, uh, time and time again, I hear, well, um, the women's suffrage movement was inspired by, uh, by the Haudenosaunee because women were equals in our system. Yeah, women's were equal in our system, but I don't know how much inspiration they got from that because you know what? They didn't fight for Native people. The, the women's suffrage movement was about women getting the right to vote, not necessarily Native women. And this is some of what gets missed in all that. So I can agree to a certain extent. So again, when we talk about activism, yes, I can stand, I can march for, uh, you know, for justice for Freddie Gray. But I also need to say, look, we have, uh, you know, Colton Bushy. We, we have other people that, that we have seen not just killed, but imprisoned. Leonard Peltier. Now, people have a, different, a lot of different opinions about Leonard Peltier, but one thing is clear. His trial was a sham. Regardless of how people feel about Leonard Peltier as a human being or, or AIM or, or any of that, Anna May, his trial was a sham. That is why Leonard Peltier should be released from prison. We can argue about how innocent he was or whatever else, but we also can, can argue about the FBI agents who were killed, who, which is the reason that, uh, that Peltier is in prison. What were, what were they doing? Because that's the issue that never gets discussed. Oh, yeah, well, the two federal agents were, were killed. Yeah, but they may, in all likelihood, they were pretty much scumbags. They were shooting at Native people. Now, we can argue about what's, whether somebody gets what they deserve. And I'm not trying to be an arbiter of justice. But I will say, when I see injustice, I will resist it. So, you know, I, I, again, I, I talked about um, the spectrum. And that spectrum of, of activism is something that, that all, includes very, many different things. Where we come from, who we are. You know, um, it's not necessarily a gender issue. And, and this is, you know, again, um, it isn't, men can fight for women, 
men can fight for, for, for non-binary people. You know, women can fight for men. I mean, we, we, it, this isn't necessarily a gender issue, but it does ha sometimes have to do with age. Look, at, at, at 61, there are things that I'm gonna fight a little differently than when I was 21. You know, I, I can sit here in admiration of some of the things that, uh, that, that Regan is doing. And that's not envy, it's admiration. I had my time. And in many ways, um, you know, the fight that I had when I was in my 20s and 30s is a little different now. The tools are different. The issues are very much the same. But we have different strategies. You know, some of those strategies are, are, are you know, some are very strictly pacifist. Some of them are nonviolent direct action, which doesn't mean, <laughs> nonviolent direct action doesn't mean that you don't do stuff. It's, it's an action. It is a direct action. And look, spray painting something is not violence. You know, breaking a window, unless somebody's standing on the other side of the window, that's not violence. Toppling a statue is not violence, unless you topple it on top of somebody. Those are nonviolent direct actions that I fully support. Frankly, dismantling construction equipment that is, that is destroying the earth, that's nonviolent direct action. Now, people can call it vandalism, and, and I would argue that vandalism, if you're gonna use that word, is still not violence, unless you are hurting people. Violence is about hurting people or, you know, or hurting something that's alive anyway. And I'm in full support of nonviolent direct action, but I'm also, I gotta admit, I'm, I support physical resistance when that time comes. Now, I'm not, yeah, look, I am not su suggesting quote unquote terrorism. No, we've been the victims of terrorism and, and continue to be because terrorism is doing something violent to somebody that will discourage them from doing it again or discourage others. So when, when you're talking about terrorism. George Washington cited terrorism. He says, let the Senecas, let them know the terror of their chastisement. And he said that because he wanted to impose intergenerational trauma against the people so they would never rise up again. They would change their disposition. That's what terrorism is. You use violence to change a people's, uh, the activity. Yeah, you know, of somebody's, somebody's actions. We have continued to be victims of terrorism by that definition. Now, I know the United States will, will, likes to play semantics with, with words. So, but I'm not suggesting that. I'm not, I am, I am almost never <laughs> gonna um, advocate that somebody who is innocent become the victim of an action. Now, we can get into a big debate about you know, who is innocent and who isn't innocent, and, and I'm not gonna do that here today. But I will say, I am not a pacifist. Um, you know, that doesn't mean I'm violent. It just means that I will physically resist. Well, you know, look, the, the, the whole big debate, white people turned this whole Malcolm X versus Martin Luther King debate into Malcolm X was the violent one and MLK was the, was the peaceful one. Well, MLK wasn't that peaceful. I mean, to, to suggest that he was opposed to defending yourself? No, I, look, he, he absolutely promoted peaceful protest. And, and, I, and why? 
because I don't think he wanted to be responsible for people getting hurt. But it doesn't mean that he wouldn't have resisted himself. I mean, look, much of what Martin Luther King talked about was not nearly as peaceful as white people want to turn, uh, turn it you know, uh, to be. I mean, they have basically taken ownership of this whole MLK image. Now, I don't think that you would, if you broke it all down, you would find um, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King were as far away on, on many of these issues. Now, did uh, Malcolm use st stronger language? Sure. Sure. I mean, uh, MLK was a, was, a, was a minister. Of course he was going to use uh, more, more peaceful language. But, but see, this is the way the messages get, get manipulated. Look, one of the things that we get hit with, and, 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 and I've heard it over and over and over again, when, when those who oppose our protests, our rallies, our events, you know, our blockades, they say, what do you, don't have jobs? Yes, we have jobs. We have family. We have, we have loved ones at home, which is why we are there. You know, sometimes we find ourselves taking time off of work, taking time away from our families to do this work. And it's work. Look, I'm not saying we don't get some enjoyment and there aren't laughs. Native people are notorious for laughing in the face of adversity. You know, uh, uh, somebody once told a police officer um, who was standing in line against a bunch of our people, and I think this was at Onondaga, um, they, they were saying, why do they laugh so much? And the police officer was, was warned. He says, when they stop laughing, then you have to start worrying. Look, so I'm not saying we don't have enjoyment. And, and, and there, there isn't some level of, of humor and social interaction when we're involved in some of this activism. But don't mistake our laughter for a lack of seriousness. Don't mistake the fact that we can socialize and smile. I mean, look, I, I, I talk about a lot of serious issues here. But I don't mind cracking a joke here and there along the way. You know, a part of it is some of this is so absurd that you almost have to laugh at some of this stuff. I mean, some of the things, I mean, like the idea of George Soros cutting me a check. Yeah, I could be really angry that somebody would dare say that, but part of me just has to laugh it off because it's, it, it is, it's absurd. So I think that is, you know, a big part of understanding what motivates, and I don't, not, don't just mean Native people. Look, we're, we're coming up on the, um, the anniversary, and I, I'm, I'm, I may have my dates mixed up, but uh, of Occupy Wall Street. Well, you know, this Sunday is also this uh, Rising Together for a World Without War event that's happening uh, at Foley Square in New York City. You know, there, there are people of all ages from their 70s and their 80s, you know, and, and, you know, and, and down to you know, teenagers and kids. I mean, look, young enough and, and kids are just being towed along. But when I look at the teenagers who were involved and the 20-somethings and, you know, and, and, the, and the kids, the, the folks that I now look at as kids, even though they're full-grown adults, I realized where their passion comes from. And look, and as much as I'm ready to hand the torch off to that next generation, 
That doesn't mean that I'm, that I'm retiring. It's, it's about who, where leadership comes from. So, look, I am, I'm thrilled when I see people of all ages get involved in, in any kind of action. And I want to hear those voices. And there are, there are clearly very seasoned veterans of the civil rights movement, of, you know, the uh, protests against Vietnam War. You know, and, and of course, we can go right down the list because the United States is, is almost always in a constant state of war or occupation or, you know, some sort of imperialism uh, driven by their, their military industrial complex. Uh, you know, so there are, seri- there are veterans, and, and I appreciate anyone who can maintain, especially over a lifetime of work, that kind of commitment. Now, does that commitment change? It doesn't reduce, but it does change. Because when I was young and didn't have the same responsibilities with, with, with family and children or even looking after older, you know, el- the elderly, I could take on more risky activities, I guess you, I, you could say. And, and as a result of that, I mean, look, I don't, I don't wear this as a, as a badge of street cred or, or pride, but I went to prison for standing up. And, you know, it wasn't for 20 or 30 years, but it was for a couple. So you understand that when you take on these commitments, there is a, there's a consequence. And it's not necessarily a just consequence. I mean, there's no way I should have gone to, gone to prison. There's no way I should have been taken away from my wife and my children. Because, I, you know, even though I was younger, I had responsibilities that that I could not fulfill because I had pushed myself out on the front, the front lines of a conflict. So you have to look at people for who they are and what they are in best positioned to do in terms of family and responsibility. And it isn't about wealth, you know, because we all, again, we hear this thing, oh, you're a paid activist. Or well, how do you afford to go off and do this thing for well, one thing that's not anybody else's concern. <laughs> but trust me, there is no financial reward, direct reward, for the kind of activism that certainly the people that I've been involved in get engaged in. Now, look, we have stood up for native rights to do commerce. I, I'm not a big fan of um, of smoking cigarettes, but I've defended our tobacco trade. I'm not a big fan of gambling, but I've defended, uh, you know, our right to do, uh, do casinos. And, I, and I've stood up both to the federal level and, and the state level with, with being exploited over gaming. You know, um, the, the big thing that's, that's out there today and, and that's, that's really running through a lot of Native territories has been the, um, uh, the establishment of uh, recreational marijuana facilities, stores, dispensaries. Now, and I'll admit, that's not something that I'm involved in, just like I don't smoke cigarettes. But I'll defend our right to do it, even if it's not something that I'm necessarily that, you know, it's not my activity. So we, we find ourselves you know, fighting for, for things that may ultimately give somebody some, some financial reward, but the, but the people on the street, the, the feet on the ground, so when we stopped, when we shut down the New York State Thruway, it wasn't just business owners who were doing that. 
It wasn't the tobacco lords that some would try to suggest. It's, it's, it's genuinely going to be the people who just absolutely reject the state trying to impose itself on, uh, on our people. Or a corporation, you know, an, an oil company, imposing itself on, uh, on our people. That is what, what we are fighting. We are fighting not just to protect the environment, but we are fighting to reject those who are, who are trying to hurt us. And sometimes our fight is long-term. We know that we're not going to have the necessarily the most immediate effect with the things that, we're, that we, we fight. Sometimes we do. Look, I'm a big fan, like I said. Make it expensive. Make it expensive for an oil company to run a pipeline through or, or around your territories. Make it expensive. You know, hit them, hit them in, in the wallet. I say the same thing with, with the state. I mean, when we've done some calculations, and we know when we've cost someplace like New York State tens of millions of dollars in, 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 in housing and in, uh, deploying uh, you know, their, their militarized police in, in different areas. That's expensive. Now, people can argue where the money comes from. Well, I mean, then, then that, should, that should really um, anger every taxpayer. If they know that their police departments are becoming militarized with, you know, with armored personnel carriers and, and all of these other weapons that they now carry. I mean, it, it used to be there was only SWAT, special weapons and tactics, right? Now every police officer pulls out an AR-15 out of the trunk of their car. I mean, it, it's absurd how violent policing has become. And everybody should be pissed about that. I mean, uh, look, I know some people are going to hang up their, their black American flags with a blue stripe on it until they get abused by police. But you know what? What's amazing to me it's because so much of this battle has turned into a right versus left thing. Many people on the right will fight for something that is in direct opposition to their own self-interest. They're fighting for rich people, and they're not rich. I mean, what are the 64 million people voted for, for Donald Trump? They weren't rich people. Most of them weren't. We can argue about you know, their intelligence level, but they certainly weren't rich people. So people will do things and they'll fight for things that are completely against their own self-interest. Why? Because you know, we, we, we can say they drank the Kool-Aid or the, or the Flavor-Aid or whatever. whatever. They always say Kool-Aid, but it wasn't actually Kool-Aid that Kim Jones used. But that's another story. <laughs> but, but people buy in. Look, and, and even people in the activist community. Look, I, I talk about the, the spectrum, right? Look, we have some people who are very motivated and very driven uh, about decolonization. And then we have some people who are not so much. You know, we have people who think that you can fight within the system. And those are the people who are saying, oh yeah, we need to vote in the elections and we need to elect more native people into, into positions. I'm not one of those people. But, but look, I get it and I understand what people are trying to do. And I wish them success. You look, for all those people who are singing the praises of somebody like uh, Deb Halland getting into the Interior Department, I hope it works out. I hope Deb Halland does something positive. But I say, I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting to see 
if Deb Haaland hears enough of our voices. I don't need her to be our voice. She's not our voice. She, she works for the president. But is, is she going to make sure that our views are heard by the administration? I don't expect her to express our views. She, she joined the other side. So, so, but I understand, you know, people, people think, oh, get our people are elected, get our people on school boards, get our people in, in county government, state government, whatever. And that is a strategy. One I don't agree with, but it's a strategy. So, I mean, and I, I'm not going to necessarily hate on somebody who thinks the way to always fight these things is within the system. I don't agree with that, but I'm glad, I'm glad people are doing something. And look, I hope that our allies will hold their elected representatives responsible, hold them accountable for their bad decisions, their bad legislation, their, their, their racist comments, or whatever. I mean, it's, I, I, I'm glad that some of these politicians have been taken down for some of their mis misogynist behavior. But man, it sure is hard getting them taken down, getting them taken down for the racist behavior. And, and, and again, I'm not, I'm, I am not criticizing the Me Too movement by any way, shape, or form. But there, you know, when, when I talk about racism, there are things that are acceptable when they're said about Native people, like the mascot issue. I mean, blackface is unacceptable, but redface seems to be fine for 50,000 people in a football stadium. And this is the problem. The racism is the same, but it, it can be perceived different. And or differently. I mean, I and this is this has been part of the problem. And that's why when when people ask about activism, that activism is everything from educating people, which is what I try to do, to I'm gonna admit it, I picked up a rifle. I stood a, stood against a line of police with a weapon in my hand. That's not what I necessarily went to prison for. But I've, I've rolled around on the ground. You know, I've, I've had physical conflicts standing up for what I believe in. At 61 years old, I'm, I'm spending more time teaching than I, <laughs> than I am fighting. But that's that spectrum again, the spectrum of age, that, that spectrum of, of, of not only, it isn't even just about responsibility. It's like, what are you best at? You know, uh, my, I love the fact that Regan is so engaged. But I, but man, Regan, if you're listening, <laughs> uh, you are such a strong voice. I don't want your voice to be silenced, even as you are physically getting engaged. So, there's, there becomes, we have to recognize what our strengths are and utilize our strengths. And I'm not saying we don't do anything else. I'm not opposed to, you know, I, I used to say I've only got about a half a can of whoop-ass left and I'm saving it for when I really need it. And, and, I, and I am. And there will come a time that I will, I know that I will likely have to physically resist something again. And I, and I still have some capability of that left. But it's not what I, I I'm not looking for a fight. There's plenty to resist.
there's plenty to speak out about. And that's what, what I try to do. Now, I'm not trying to you know, just frame what my activism looks like. But depending on who you are, we all have different spaces within, you know, within our social groups, within you know, our geography, to, to take a stand in, in a way that suits us best and that is the most effective. The worst thing is remaining silent. The worst thing is being complicit. Like I said, even as I take on some of the mascot issue, you know, I go back to my, my old hometown. There's a lot of my old classmates who just didn't want to get involved in the conversation. They would rather be silent about it. And part of it is because they don't want to, any of the retribution. They don't want to feel, you know, um, the hate from those who become more and more hateful. I mean, I, I, I've said this. I posted a meme. I said, you know, the only thing more racist than white people using Native people for a mascot is their reaction when you tell them it's wrong. And that's what we've seen time and time again. I mean, time and time again. Now, I could go into, into some of these communities that have spoken out against their mascot, and it wouldn't matter what I would say because I'm being labeled. You know, like this, like this guy who suggested that because I'm a paid activist that somehow I'm a lightning rod. Well, I may be a lightning rod. Why? Because I'm going to speak out. Why am I going to speak out? Because I have background. I have the cultural connection. I have the ability to speak out, and I've done my homework. Look, I've, I've also told people, if you don't understand what is wrong with a conflict, you know, you know what are the elements involved in, in, a, in stopping a pipeline? You know, why are we stopping it? Or why are we opposing a mascot? Or why are we blocking a rail line or, or whatever else? If you don't understand why, then stay the heck out of the conversation. And then learn why. But if you are just hating on somebody who might be making your life a little bit less convenient because they're standing up for something they believe in, if you're just hateful, then again, you don't, you don't belong in the conversation. Educate yourself. There is so much information available on any number of issues. You know. Again, Standing Rock, Line 3, Mascots, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls and Two-Spirit, um, uh, the residential school thing that is, you know, all uh, very quietly disappeared out, out of the headlines after, you know, a little bit of sensation. I mean, there's uh, the, uh, Black Lives Matter. You need to understand what this, but if, but if you get jump onto the bandwagon of, oh, I'm anti-critical race theory, or I'm against uh, cancel culture. Well, maybe you need, need to understand what some of these things mean. Most of you don't even know what critical race theory is. Most of you don't even know what cancel culture is. I mean, I'm going I'm to touch on that one. Cancel culture isn't about canceling cultures. Cancel culture is about developing a culture that, that promotes canceling things that are socially unjust. I mean, it is, it's, there's no culture associated with, with Christopher Columbus. I mean, I know Italian-Americans try to you know, suggest that somehow he's their patron saint or something, symbol of, 
you know, a pride for Italian-American. He wasn't an Italian-American. We could argue he wasn't even Italian. He was genuine. But the idea of taking his statue down doesn't cancel somebody's culture. But developing a culture that allows you and then encourages you to, to build a culture that's, that is prepared to oppose injustice and oppression, that's cancel culture. Cancel culture is developing the culture that will allow you to cancel some, something that's wrong in your life. To, to stand clear of, uh, of women who are, or, or men who, who are misogynist and, and, uh, and harass and sexually harass women. You know, uh, people who, you know, the Karens or, or whatever you want to, whatever you want to, however you want to characterize people. We have the right to take people out of our lives, to take certain activities out of our lives. That's what cancel culture is. But the vast majority of people are just ignorant about this, these issues. Again, I think we, it's important to understand that, that there, I, I want to get back to that spectrum uh, idea. Because there are those of us who will fight outside of the system. You know, and again, Native people, I'm not trying to defend American citizenship. I reject it. Now, I'm not trying to say I reject Americans. I just reject the imposition of American citizenship. I got, I got a notice for jury duty the other day. Really? You're sending me a notice for jury duty? That ain't going to happen, just so, just so you know. Um, I'm not in that system. I'm not one of yours. Now, that doesn't mean I can't stand right beside one of you. I mean, I can have a conversation with anybody about anything. It doesn't mean that we are the same. And I'm not saying I'm better or worse or I'm more or less. I'm, it's none of that. But understanding that, that we are a people who predate any Europeans coming to this land. And so the idea that I have to somehow only find a comfortable place within the, the social structures that you've built, no, I, I, that's, that's not who I am. Have I been impacted? Yeah, I'm speaking to you in English. So yes, I've been impacted by that oppression, but it doesn't mean that I have to accept it. And it doesn't mean that the only way that I can resist this is to run for office or vote for somebody who may or may not pick up the mantle for something that I feel strongly about. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand up, I'm gonna stand up for myself. I'm going to allow my voice and I will provide a platform for other voices. That's what we do. That's where activism has brought me. It didn't start out this way. I was one of the guys in the front line. And you don't have to go back that far. But we have to find the places that we can be most effective. So if, we are a good, if you're a good communicator, if you can write, if you can organize people, if you are tech savvy, whatever the case may be, there are any number of ways that we can work together to advocate for a better world. Now, we may not always agree. Again, I don't know how many people who listen to this show agree with the notion that Native people have a right to be autonomous. I mean, I mean, 
a lot of people have this general sense, well, isn't it like a nation within a nation? Well, not as far as the federal government is concerned or state government is concerned. And we didn't build your nation around us. We've just tried to preserve some semblance of our autonomy. Now, I don't know. I, look, I, I even went back to my old high school. I, I spoke to a history class. And the, and the history teacher thought I was, I was insane for suggesting that we could somehow live autonomously. I mean, so this is not a history teacher, a social studies teacher who doesn't have enough of an open view to suggest, yeah, I could see how that works. I could, I could see how, uh, you know, how that would be. I mean, so these are teachers who are teaching children. So these, this is the reason that activism can span from every place from education to digging in against a line of police officers. I mean, that's, you know, and, and those are pretty much the extremes. Those are the extremes that I'm willing to, to be a part of. Now it's mostly education. But I, I, I think about what we have been up against and the vitriol that comes our way as we do resist. And look, we heard, and it isn't just Native people. Look, some of the hateful things I heard about Occupy Wall Street, some of the hateful things I heard against the anti-war movements of the, of the Vietnam era or the civil rights movement, but you don't have to go back that far. You know, as, as some of my people were, were blocking the, the Canadian rail system on the, on, on the parliament floor in Canada, Justin Trudeau, this, uh, you know, Jagmeet Singh. I mean, I, as, I, as I listened to some of what these people said, they couldn't, they almost couldn't help themselves. You know, again, asking whether our people have jobs or don't you have a job or a school to go to? I mean, when I, when I listen to some of what, what came out of these Canadian politicians or what I've heard come out of American politicians, Andrew Cuomo has, you know, has really been pretty clear in his racial views as it came to Native people. He has been, he said, he said terrible things about the Senecas here because they simply just don't want to pay him. So when I hear, I mean, I, I, listen, to, I listen to a mayor of Niagara Falls Compare the first responders who went into the, the Twin Towers before they collapsed. He compared them to the 7th Cavalry, to Indian killers, to, to people who were, were literally trying to kill, mutilate, murder Native people. And the, the parallel he was trying to make was that somehow these are people who put themselves in harm's way. Well, I, I agree with that when it comes to the first responders going into the World Trade Centers. But the harm that the U.S. Cavalry was trying to, they were producing the harm. The United States military isn't about reducing violence. It is about creating weaponry and, and military might all over the globe to, to advance their agenda. And doing it with the military is violent. Drone strikes are violent. Imperialism, colonialism, it is violence. Slavery is violence. Rape is violent. 
So it's, as I, as I hear some of these issues being parsed out in, in certain ways to suggest, and again, those things which I just described as violent, that's the argument we have. Even with the same people who are saying, well, they broke a window, that was pretty violent. No, it wasn't. It wasn't violent breaking a window. It, we can call it vandalism. It may have been destruction of personal property or private property, but that's not the same as violence. So, look, I felt like I, I wanted to address uh, what activism is because there, uh, there's a negative connotation that many people, especially on the right, in spite of the fact that they stormed the Capitol and, and resulting in some deaths, you know, some of those, those, those crazy Trump folks, those are the same people who will oppose and, and speak out almost violently against somebody who would do something far less violent than what they did. So I think it's really important that, that people understand that even, even within the activist community, again, there's a, there's a range of thoughts, there's a range of views, and there, there's a range of tactics and strategies. And while we may not always agree with the strategies that some people employ, this is what happens when you create a certain level, of, not just of oppression, but of desperation. When, when people genuinely feel like their lives are at risk and the, and the future of their children is at risk, that's where activism is born. Look, I know we're just about out of time, so I want, I want to thank, thank those of you who listen to this program. And I hope that you do get out. I hope you get out to Foley Square in New York City on Sunday. I hope that you stand up when you see an Occupy Wall Street movement or any kind of movement that, that suggests we need to stand up to oppression. Look, it's fine to be a spectator, but at some point, we all need to participate. I'm John Kane for Regan DeLoggins. This is Resistance Radio. Thanks for listening. Yahweh.